This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to the Invisible Asia podcast, a series in which The Straits Times casts the spotlight on little seen or talked about segments of society across the region. I'm your narrator, Janing Tan. Indonesia's ISIS family. Kopi gan drawing looks like any typical Indonesian eatery. Tucked away in a little neighborhood in Yogyakarta, a few minutes' walk from a handful of universities and student hostels, the eatery is usually bustling with young people and college students hanging out over a meal or a cup of coffee or tea. But kopi gan drawing serves a greater purpose: to keep young Indonesians on the straight and narrow, and To pull disillusioned youths back from the edge of radicalization, this is a purpose driven by a brother's desire for redemption. Muhammad Inam Amin is 44. He is the founder of Kopi Gun Drawing. To many in the neighborhood, he is also the brother of an ISIS fighter. Although Inam's brother Wildan Mukhalat died seven years ago in a suicide car bomb thousands of miles away in Iraq. His story lives on. Wildan was Indonesia's first casualty as a foreign fighter for the Islamic State terrorist group in the Middle East. He was only 19. Wildan's story is the driving force behind Inam's work at Kopi Gun Drawing. Growing up, Wildan had always wanted to become a religious cleric. He studied in an Islamic boarding school in Indonesia. He was among the brightest in class and known to be intelligent, soft-spoken, and well-mannered. Inam says this of his youngest brother. Waktu itu berangkat itu Quran itu hampir hampir hafal 30 juz dan saya dengar sebelum At 17, he memorized the Quran. Not even his peers or other children and grandchildren in the family could do what he did. In 2011, three years before his death. Wildan left Indonesia for the first time for Egypt. He had won a scholarship to study the Arabic language at the Al Azhar University in Cairo, but just a year into his course, he started to express his desire to join jihad in Syria. Inam says that in his calls home, Wildan would complain that his friends had all sacrificed themselves, but that he had yet to get his chance. Inam recalls how Wildan would complain. Saya kok enggak belum mati. Dengan teman-teman saya ikut jihad semua sudah banyak sudah mati. Nah, begitu. I want to die as a martyr here. It was very clear that he wanted to die there. He even showed us a picture of himself holding a Kalashnikov rifle, which he carried with him everywhere, even when he went to bed. I tried so hard to convince him to come home, but it was all in vain. We couldn't get hold of him after that. It was bad enough that Inam and his family had lost Wildan to an extremist terrorist group, but in the months after Wildan's death, they also had to endure the pain and shame of being associated with an ISIS fighter. They were ostracized by the neighbors and repeatedly interrogated by law and forces, even as they grieved Wildan's death. My mother. Had never been more devastated. 
the whole family was at a loss of what to do. The villagers called us the family of terrorists. They excommunicated us. Before Wilden died, we used to get along with most of our neighbours. Even those we didn't get along with would at least act friendly when we met. But after that, everyone just avoided us. Some even started calling me a terrorist. You're listening to the Invisible Asia podcast series. Do follow all nine episodes of Invisible Asia over the next few weeks on the Straits Times podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. Now, back to our Invisible Asia series. A year after Wildan's death, sick of being the outcast in his hometown of Lamongan in East Java, Inam decided that he'd had enough. He moved to Jogjakarta, some 300 kilometers away. There, he set about rebuilding his life. Still scarred by Wildan's death and constantly wondering what he could have done to save his brother from ISIS, Inam embarked on a path towards redemption. Together with a few friends, he started a counter-terrorism organization, Yayasan Linkar Padamayan, or the Peace Network Foundation in English. He then used his little coffee shop, Kopi Gandroing, as a base and a safe space for young Indonesians to mingle. There, young people can feel free to talk about anything under the sun, share their hopes and dreams, and fears and doubts. In this way, Inam hopes to steer at risk or disillusioned youths away from religious extremism. We also want to create a new community so that the former terrorists won't fall back to their old social network. They come here, they talk about politics and so on. Through this, we hope to stop the flow of unhealthy information they get from elsewhere. Indeed, in Indonesia, some 850 convicted terrorists have been freed from jail over the past 20 years. More than 5% are believed to have fallen back to their old ways. The problem is this. Mainstream programs to de-radicalize extremists often fail to follow up with them over time. Dr. Nohuda Ismail, founder of Ruang Ngobrol, another informal program that rehabilitates radical Islamists, told the Straits Times, The government arrests these terrorists and brings them to Jakarta. But after they are released, local governments don't have the resources to look after them. So this is how they end up sliding back into their old ways. The ex-convicts may not become involved in other terror activities themselves, but they might encourage others to carry out those acts. We don't want that. Inam's foundation is a good alternative to the government's programs. Informal de-radicalization initiatives have two effects, a more human touch and sustained support that former extremists need. As Dr. Huda told the Straits Times, They are more personalized to cater to different individuals. To effectively disengage extremists, we must first win their hearts, then give them a hand before changing the ideology in their heads. Now that's what I call the triple H approach. 
In the seven years since Wildan died, Inam and his family have moved on slowly. Regrets remain, though. Saya yang paling terpukul dan yang saya saya selalu ingat dan umpama kok saya. As the eldest in the family, I am responsible for my siblings. Other families give their children everything, but at the time, I could afford nothing. I didn't give Wildan any money when he left for Egypt. I was in poor health and financial distress then. Even when he came to say goodbye, I was lying ill in bed. Inam sees the work he's doing at Kopi Gan Drawing and the Peace Network Foundation as a way of redeeming himself for having failed to protect his brother. Iya, karena sebetulnya usia muda itu usia mungkin usia menjadi jati diri. These young people, they are at an age where they seek an identity. Maybe because they are bored. Many decide to adopt a more religious way of life, but without a strong Islamic foundation, they are easily influenced by the wrong teachings. They listen to the words of war, the words of jihad. We just want to remind them that the Quran also contains words of tolerance. It also teaches mercy to all creation and kindness. We want to educate them on all these virtues before it becomes too late. To bring them back. You've been listening to Invisible Asia. This is Indonesia's ISIS family, and I'm your narrator, Janning Tan. Do check out my full story in the Straits Times. We have a link in our podcast text description below. And don't forget to subscribe to the Straits Times podcast channel on your favorite audio apps: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts for the next episode of Invisible Asia. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast@sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM eighty nine point three.